0: episode 13 it was inevitable that in the breakdown of trade and civil authority and in a time of widespread hunger that crime would increase serious crime including murder was widely reported but the author is skeptical of these accounts he believes that murder was unlikely and even unnecessary in a time when imminent and sudden death was otherwise so prevalent in fact the author proves himself a very discerning analyst of what we now call urban legends, noting the patterned similarity in so many of these tales, and the fact that they were always said to take place at the other end of town. Petty crime and crimes of opportunity, on the other hand, were indeed widespread, and he concludes this episode with an account of a visit to his brother's warehouse, where he found women from the neighborhood making off with stylish, high-crowned hats, which, they claimed, no longer had an owner. We had at this time a great many frightful stories told us of nurses and watchmen who looked after the dying people, that is to say, hired nurses who attended infected people, using them barbarously, starving them, smothering them, or by other wicked means hastening their end, that is to say, murdering of them. And watchmen, being set to guard houses that were shut up when there has been but one person left, and perhaps that one lying sick, that they have broke in and murdered that body, and immediately thrown them out into the dead cart, and so they have gone scarce cold to the grave. I cannot say but that some such murders were committed, and I think two were sent to prison for it, but died before they could be tried, and I have heard that three others, at several times, were excused for murders of that kind, but I must say I believe nothing of its being so common a crime as some people have since been pleased to say, nor did it seem to be so rational, where the people were brought so low as not to be able to help themselves, for such seldom recovered, and there was no temptation to commit a murder, at least none equal to the fact where they were sure persons would die in so short a time and could not live. That there were a great many robberies and wicked practices committed even in this dreadful time, I do not deny. The power of avarice was so strong in some that they would run any hazard to steal and to plunder, and particularly in houses where all the families or inhabitants have been dead and carried out, they would break in at all hazards, and without regard to the danger of infection, take even the clothes off the dead bodies, and the bedclothes from others where they lay dead. This, I suppose, must be the case of a family in Houndsditch, where a man and his daughter, the rest of the family being, as I suppose, carried away before by the dead cart, were found stark naked, one in one chamber and one in another, lying dead on the floor, and the clothes of the beds, from whence tis supposed they were rolled off by thieves, stolen and carried quite away. It is indeed to be observed that the women were in all this calamity the most rash, fearless, and desperate creatures, and as there were vast numbers that went about as nurses to tend those that were sick, they committed a great many petty thieveries in the houses where they were employed, and some of them were publicly whipped for it, when perhaps they ought rather to have been hanged for examples, for numbers of houses were robbed on these occasions, till at length the parish officers were sent to recommend nurses to the sick, and always took an account whom it was they sent, so as that they might call them to account if the house had been abused where they were placed. But these robberies extended chiefly to wearing clothes, linen, and what rings or money they could come at when the person died who was under their care, but not to a general plunder of the houses, and I could give an account of one of these nurses who, several years after, being on her deathbed, confessed with the utmost horror the robberies she had committed at the time of her being a nurse, and by which she had enriched herself to a great degree. But as for murders, I do not find that there was ever any proof of the facts in the matter as it has been reported, except as above. They did tell me, indeed, of a nurse in one place that laid a wet cloth upon the face of a dying patient whom she tended, and so put an end to his life was just expiring before, and another that smothered a young woman she was looking to when she was in a fainting fit, and would have come to herself. Some that killed them by giving them one thing, some another, and some starved them by giving them nothing at all. But these stories had two marks of suspicion that always attended them, which caused me always to slight them, and to look on them as mere stories that people continued frightened one another with. First, that wherever it was that we heard it, they always placed the scene at the farther end of town, opposite or most remote from where you were to hear it. If you heard it in Whitechapel, it had happened at St. Giles, or at Westminster, or Holborn, or that end of the town. If you heard it at that end of the town, then it was done in Whitechapel, or the minories, or about Cripplegate Parish. If you heard of it in the city, why, then it happened in Southwark. And if you heard it in Southwark, then it was done in the city and the like. In the next place, of what part soever you heard the story, the particulars were always the same, especially that of laying a wet double cloth on a dying man's face, and that of smothering a young gentlewoman, so it was apparent, at least to my judgment, that there was more of tale than of truth in those things. However, I cannot say but that it had some effect upon the people, and particularly that, as I said before, they grew more cautious whom they took into their houses, and whom they trusted their lives with, and had them always recommended if they could, and where they could not find such, for they were not very plenty, they applied to the parish officers. But here again the misery of that time lay upon the poor, who, being infected, had neither food or physic, neither physician or apothecary to assist them, or nurse to attend them, many of those died calling for help, and even for sustenance, out at their windows in a most miserable and deplorable manner. But it must be added that whenever the cases of such persons or families were represented to my Lord Mayor, they always were relieved. It is true, in some houses where the people were not very poor, yet where they had sent perhaps their wives and children away, and if they had any servants they had been dismissed, I say it is true that to save the expense, many such as these shut themselves in, and not having help, died alone. A neighbour and acquaintance of mine, having some money owing to him from a shopkeeper in Whitecross Street or thereabouts, sent his apprentice, a youth about eighteen years of age, to endeavour to get the money. He came to the door, and finding it shut, knocked pretty hard, and, as he thought, heard someone answer within, but was not sure. So he waited, and after some stay knocked again and then a third time, when he heard somebody coming downstairs. At length the man of the house came to the door; he had on his breeches or drawers, and a yellow flannel waistcoat, no stockings, a pair of slipped shoes, a white cap on his head, and, as the young man said, death in his face. When he opened the door, says he, "What do you disturb me thus for? The boy, though a little surprised, replied, I come from such a one, and my master sent me for the money which he says you know of. Very well, child, returns the living ghost. Call as you go by at Cripplegate Church, and bid them ring the bell. And with these words shut the door again, and went up again, and died the same day, nay, perhaps the same hour. This the young man told me himself, and I have reason to believe it, This was while the plague was not come to a height. I think it was in June, towards the latter end of the month, it must be before the dead carts came about, and while they used the ceremony of ringing the bells for the dead, which was over for certain, in that parish at least, before the month of July, for by the 25th of July there died 550 and upwards in a week, and then they could no more bury in form, rich or poor." I have mentioned above that notwithstanding this dreadful calamity, yet the numbers of thieves were abroad upon all occasions, where they had found any prey, and that these were generally women. It was one morning, about eleven o'clock, I had walked out to my brother's house in Coleman Street Parish, as I often did, to see that all was safe. My brother's house had a little court before it, and a brick wall and a gate in it, And within that several warehouses where his goods of several sorts lay. It happened that in one of these warehouses were several packs of women's high-crowned hats, which came out of the country and were, as I suppose, for exportation, whither I know not. I was surprised that when I came near my brother's door, which was in a place they called Swan Alley, I met three or four women with high-crowned hats on their head, and as I remembered afterwards, one, if not more, had some hats likewise in their hands. But I did not see them come out of my brother's door, and not knowing that my brother had any such goods in his warehouse, I did not offer to say anything to them, but went across the way to shun meeting them, as was usual to do at that time, for fear of the plague. But when I came nearer to the gate, I met another woman with more hats coming out of the gate. "'What business, mistress,' said I, "'have you had there?' THERE ARE MORE PEOPLE THERE, SHE SAID. I'VE HAD NO MORE BUSINESS THERE THAN THEY. I WAS HASTY TO GET TO THE GATE THEN, AND SAID NO MORE TO HER, BY WHICH MEANS SHE GOT AWAY. BUT JUST AS I CAME TO THE GATE, I SAW TWO MORE COMING ACROSS THE YARD, TO COME OUT WITH HATS ALSO ON THEIR HEADS, AND UNDER THEIR ARMS, AT WHICH I THREW THE GATE TO BEHIND ME, WHICH HAVING A SPRING LOCK FASTENED ITSELF, AND TURNING TO THE WOMEN, FORSOOTH, SAID I, WHAT ARE YOU DOING HERE? and seized upon the hats, and took them from them. One of them, who, I confess, did not look like a thief. Indeed, she says, we are wrong, but we were told that they were goods that had no owner. But please to take them again, and look yonder. There are more such customers as we. She cried, and looked pitifully, so I took the hats from her, and opened the gate, and bade them be gone, for I pitied the women indeed but when I looked toward the warehouse, as she directed, there were six or seven more, all women, fitting themselves with hats, as unconcerned and quiet as if they had been at a hatter's shop, buying for their money. I was surprised, not at the sight of so many thieves only, but at the circumstances I was in, being now to thrust myself in among so many people, who for some weeks had been so shy of myself, that if I met anybody in the street, I would cross the way from them they were equally surprised, though on another account. They all told me they were neighbors, and that they had heard anyone might take them, that they were nobody's goods, and the like. I talked big to them at first, went back to the gate and took out the key, so that they were all my prisoners, threatened to lock them all into the warehouse, and go and fetch my lord mayor's officers for them. They begged heartily, protested they found the gate open and the warehouse door open, and that it had no doubt been broken open by someone who expected to find goods of greater value which indeed was reasonable to believe because the lock was broke and a padlock that hung to the door on the outside also loose and an abundance of hats carried away at length i considered that it was not a time to be cruel and rigorous and besides that it would necessarily oblige me to go much about to have several people come to me and i go to several whose circumstances of health i knew nothing of And that even at this time the plague was so high as there died four thousand a week so that in showing my resentment or even in seeking justice for my brother's goods i might lose my own life so i contented myself with taking the names and places where some of them lived who were really inhabitants in the neighborhood and threatening that my brother should call them to an account for it when he returned to his habitation then i talked a little upon another foot with them And asked them how they could do such things as these in a time of such general calamity and as it were in the face of god's most dreadful judgments when the plague was at their very doors and it may be in their very houses and they did not know but that the dead cart might stop at their doors in a few hours to carry them to their graves i could not perceive that my discourse made much impression upon them all that while till it happened that there came two men of the neighborhood, hearing of the disturbance, and knowing my brother, for they had been both dependents upon his family, and they came to my assistance. These being, as I said, neighbors, presently knew three of the women, and told me who they were and where they lived, and it seems they had given me a true account of themselves before.